There's a passage I think of a lot when I think of the Kemp Church, and I think of the Kansas Church as well. Um, And I can point to specific times in my life and in the life of my family when each church has inspired me to turn to this verse uh, because of the way that you've blessed me and you've blessed my family. And it's a little verse in in Philemon, uh, and we're going to look at Philemon tonight. Um, But in verse 7, Paul says to his friend Philemon, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. And there are many times in my life when I can say that our hearts have been refreshed because of Kemp, and our hearts have been refreshed because of Kansas. Um, That little letter to Philemon, you find it tucked all the way in the back of of Paul's letters. You find this little one-page note to a friend named Philemon. Uh, And more often than not, we just pass it by because there's really no deep theology here, and there's nothing we can argue about in this book. Um, It's simply the words of Paul to his friend and a a request being made to a a slave or for a slave named Onesimus. So the major players in this are Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Those are the three names you really have to remember. And yet, as you read this letter, I've always been struck by the very casual nature that prayer plays in this letter and in the relationship that Paul has with Philemon. It's casual because without even thinking about it, without even questioning the situation, Paul just simply prays and he he goes into prayer uh, for his friend. And we see how prayer permeates Paul's relationship with Philemon, how it should permeate our relationships with each other, and how it should, should ultimately just permeate us. And we learn a lot of important things about prayer here. Here in this little letter, we see what happens when we take prayer seriously, um, we see what prayer, what being a praying person does for us. For one thing, and, and this time of year it's good to remember this, prayer calls us to thanksgiving. Prayer calls us to give thanks. And you see that in Paul's greeting to Philemon. And he says in verse 4, he says, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord's, Lord Jesus and for all the saints. Now, that leads us to ask, So who is this Philemon guy? Uh, The only mention we have of Philemon in the entire Bible is right here in this letter. That's that's all we know of him. Uh, So what do we know about this guy? Well, from verse 1, we know that he is Paul's dear friend. Paul considers him a a fellow worker, a worker in the gospel, a work in spreading the good news, the work of spreading the good news of Jesus. Verse 2 indicates that a church met in his home, and the church that met in Philemon's home is the church in Colossae, where we have the letter to the Colossians from. And last couple of weeks I've been preaching from Colossians and Kansas guys, you, you've heard me point this out many times and I think it's important for Kemp also. Colossae was a little town. It wasn't this big city church like Rome or, or Corinth. Colossae was a little town in the middle of nowhere that people would just pass by and it was surrounded by two bigger towns. And in Kansas, it's very obvious, you know, at Hierapolis about 12 miles over this way, which is very similar to where Paris is, and you know, over here this way, about 13 miles, there was Laodicea, which is like where Charleston is to us. And you know, you guys in Kemp, you can think of it as well. There's Arcola and uh, Hinesboro, I guess. I don't know, you know, but uh, bigger towns that people paid a lot more attention to. You know, everybody knew where those were, and and Colossae was just this little bump in the road that you had to go through. But he writes this letter to. Uh, 
to Philemon, the church in Colossae met in his home. So he's a wealthy man. He's got a big home. Um, and we also understand he's wealthy because he owns a slave named Onesimus. Now, I'm going to remind you again, this is not slavery like we've seen in the last couple hundred years in, in our nation's history. This was indentured servitude. This was uh, a bondservant. This was someone who, because of their position economically, they were a, they were a slave. Their family would have been sold as slave, and, and perhaps they wouldn't always have been slaves, um, but it's not the same as what we've seen in the last couple hundred years when it comes to slavery. And the letter concerns uh, the relationship with this slave, Onesimus. And so Paul writes, and he doesn't give thanks because of Philemon's wealth, even though Philemon was a wealthy man. He doesn't give thanks because of Philemon's financial support. He gives thanks because of his faith. Paul had seen Philemon's faith in action through his love for all the saints, for all the believers. And so he has prayed for Philemon. And he has recalled all that Philemon has done for Christ, the way that he had lived out his faith, the way he had helped other Christians, the way he himself had been a blessing. And as Paul is writing to Philemon, he's writing about another opportunity for him to be a blessing. And so he offers this prayer of thanks for him. I think something special happens when we start praying for other people. When we start praying for other people, our our prejudices against those people drop. Our our likes and dislikes, the impressions that we have formed about them become secondary. When we start to pray for people, we begin to see the image of Christ in them, and we begin to see God's hand in the situations in their lives. That's how Paul can pray with such peace. Even though Paul was in prison when he wrote this, even though Paul had this very uncertain future, he is able to pray with peace. Prayer causes us to view others with God's perspective, and when that happens, we give thanks for other people. And that's important, because sometimes there's people that we're not all that thankful for. Sometimes there's people that just kind of wear on us after a while, and we have to see them every day. They're always there, and they just wear on us for a while. We need God's God's perspective on them. I remember I was preaching about that one time at a, at a different church. Let's just say at a church that wasn't this one or that one. Um, it was a different church. And after I'd gotten done preaching about how when we pray, it changes our perspective on people, this, this little lady came up and she shook my hand and she said, you were talking about me, weren't you? <laughs> and I said, no. <laughs> but I was. <laughs> because she was one of those people that everything was negative. You know, everything was just constantly negative, and she was always telling me what was being done wrong, and, and usually it was because I was wrong, but, but I had committed to pray for her, and I saw the blessings that she had to offer, and I, and I saw her need for peace, and, uh, and my perspective on her changed. I saw her as God saw her, and, and to this day, I find myself giving thanks for her, sometimes. Um, she's someone I've continued to have a relationship with, and we, we laugh now about those times that were a little more strained, um, but uh, those were difficult days. Paul, Paul says that prayer does that for us. Prayer gives us God's perspective. It enables us to give thanks for other people. More than that, though, when we pray like Paul, we discover that prayer calls our faith to action. Um, we might think of prayer as asking God to do something. You know, asking God to act in our lives or to act in our world. And, and sometimes that's what prayer is. Sometimes that's what prayer does. But what we might miss is that very often when we start praying, we are called to action. Prayer calls us 
to respond. Um, if the church is the body of Christ, and it is, then the church should be busy doing the things that Jesus were doing if he was physically here right now in this world. We should be busy doing the very things that Jesus would be busy doing. You read Paul's prayer here, and his prayer is a call for Philemon to take that kind of action. He says in verses 6 and 7, I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul is writing to Philemon about his slave named Onesimus. There's an interesting little word play here because the name Onesimus in Greek, it means useful. And a little later, Paul says he used to be useless to you, but now he's, he's going to be useful again. Um, but the name Onesimus means useful. From the letter, we learn that sometime in the recent past, Onesimus has run away from Philemon. We're left to wonder why. We don't know what happened. Um, was there difficulty in that relationship? Had, had Philemon mistreated him? We don't know that. Um, was he simply not happy with his life? All we know is that when he left, he went to Paul, and under Paul's guidance, Onesimus became a Christian, and he began to work with Paul and, uh, and spread the gospel with Paul. And now, out of obedience to Christ, he is returning to Philemon. I, I get the idea. It's a little bit of what I preached about in Kansas this morning, about how, the, how, how, how Christ, you know, when, when the word of Christ is dwelling in us and um, that you, you have that, it, it acts as an umpire. It tells you when you've done right, when you've done wrong. And I have a feeling that, that it was just conviction that Onesimus was feeling that he had to go back and make things right with his old master. So he is returning to Philemon to serve him, not just as a committed slave, but as a committed Christian. So if you were Philemon, what would you do? How would you react to that? Here's this runaway slave who has stolen your property, and now he wants you to take him back. Are you going to take him back? Are you going to make him suffer a little bit? Are you going to punish him? Are you going to make him pay? Paul's prayer for Philemon is that the sharing of your faith may become effective. And we hear that term, sharing your faith, and we think immediately about telling somebody else about Jesus, right? That's not really what that's talking about, though. The sharing of your faith may become effective. The way that you live your faith out for other people, that it might become real to them, that they might really see Christ in you. They might see Christ's character, his conduct, and his love in you. And you can really see that in his encouragement to Philemon, <clears throat> picking up in verse 8. Paul says, now accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, in other words, I'm your, I'm your apostle. I can tell you what you ought to do. I, I'm bold enough I could tell you, I could command you to do what's required, yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me, in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I preferred to do nothing without your consent, in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but by your own accord. For this, perhaps, is why 
He was parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. (coughs) So what is Paul praying for? Paul is praying for Philemon to act on his faith. Paul is praying for Philemon to become the answer to his prayer. Philemon knows he has every right to be mad, every right to take, advantage, take revenge, every right to punish. But Paul says, because of your faith, you now have the right, you now have the ability to act like Jesus. You have the right to punish, but because of your faith, you now have the right to act like Jesus, to act in love. And in return, Paul wants to show the same desire, or Paul shows the same desire to put his own faith into action. He goes on in verse 17. He says, so if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of you owing me even your very self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. I love that. Confident of your obedience. I should write that in my letters that I send out. Confident of your obedience. But think about that. He's writing to a slave owner. And he's saying to a slave owner, I am confident that you are going to be obedient. Slave owners aren't supposed to be obedient. Slaves are supposed to be obedient. But I am confident of your obedience. I am confident that you are going to show your slave how to be a good slave for Christ. I'm confident that you're going to show him what it means to truly belong to Jesus Christ. When we begin praying big prayers, we shouldn't just expect more out of God. We should expect more out of ourselves, more love, more forgiveness, more Christ-like behavior. And as we grow in that, more expectation of what God is capable of doing in our lives And that's the other area in Paul's prayer and in our prayer also. And that is that prayer calls us to look ahead at what will be. And I love the way Paul concludes the letter. You look at the statement in verse 22. Paul says, at the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. And I want you to think about this. Paul's in prison. He's locked up. He's under guard. He does not have a release date. There is no word whether or not Paul is going to be released. And yet he instructs Philemon, you prepare me a guest room. Get a room ready because I believe that I am going to be restored because of your prayers. That sounds a little audacious. Sounds a little bit overconfident. But in reality, that's the actions of a man of prayer. And what an incredible notion. Paul is telling Philemon to plan ahead, not based on the facts, not based on what he can see, not based on what he knows, but to plan ahead based on the prayers of the saints. It made me wonder, based on our prayers, the prayers that we've prayed as individuals, the prayers that we've prayed as churches, based on our prayers, and ignoring every factor of human logic, what should we be planning on? Based on our prayers, what should we be planning on? What should we be doing? What should we be looking ahead for, knowing that we pray to a God who listens, who hears, and answers? Paul was locked up. His prayers weren't locked up. 
right? Paul was locked up, but his prayers were free. What would you pray for if you were praying about the things that you can't do yet? What would you pray for if you were praying about the things that you can't do yet? If you were praying about the possibilities of where God might take you, where God might take your family, where God might take your church, what would you pray for and what would you do in response to those prayers if you were praying about the possibilities that you can't see yet? You know, we see ourselves locked up too many times. We, we see ourselves in bondage and we know, well, we can't do that because we're in a small town, we're in a small community, we're in a small church. We just don't have that many people. We don't have that much money. We don't have that many opportunities. And we talk ourselves out of the things that we're praying that we can do. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. What can God do? What do you think the possibilities are right here? What are the possibilities? Now, what can God do? That's the same thing. James says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you ask with wrong motives so that you can spend what you receive on pleasure. James is not just calling us to pray. He's calling us to ask God to transform our world, to transform our lives, to change our motivation. He's calling us to put our faith in action. He's calling us to line up our prayers to line up our motives, to line up our hopes so that God can be glorified in our lives and in our church. Are we doing that? Are we making plans in accordance with our prayers? And if we did, if we did make our plans based on our prayers, what could God do? What could he do in our lives? What could he do with our family? What could he do with our churches? What are you you praying for? And what are you planning for? For the church Uh, As far as what are you planning for, as far as attendance, uh, as far as spiritual growth, as far as seeing more and more people become people of prayer, are you planning for the day when there are more and more people praying for your church, for yourself, for your family, to become more like Jesus, to have the strength to give up whatever the sin is that is plaguing you so that you might have peace, so that you might know God's blessing. You can pray and pray those things, but what Paul shows Philemon is your actions have to match your prayers. At some point, your actions need to match the prayers that you're praying. Are you acting on your prayers with the knowledge that God will answer? That God answers prayers. Are you acting with expectation? You know, we can pray for the growth of our churches. And we can pray for growth in our lives. We can pray for maturity and that we would overcome sin. But at some point, you have to act on this. At some point, you have to say, okay, it's my turn. (laughs) And I'm going to step it up and and I'm going to do what it takes to give up this. I'm going to do what it takes to change this about me. In the same way, Paul told Philemon, prepare me a room. Even though he's locked up, he's chained to a guard, you prepare me a room. Are we prepared for what God's going to do next in Kansas, in Kemp? Are you prepared for what God is going to do next? We have to change our lives. We have to transform our lives based on our prayers. And so my question is, what is God calling you to change in your life? What are you praying for? Are you praying for more faith? Are you praying for more confidence, more Christ-like behavior? Praying to change a, a habit, change to, to get rid of a sin? Let your faith become effective and act on your prayers. <clears throat> Paul concludes with just some wonderful words. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That's where it, what it comes down to. It comes down to grace, doesn't it? It's all about grace. It's all about what we've received. Yeah, I've said this many times. Grace isn't, 
Grace isn't just named Grace because her grandma was, was named Grace. Grace is named Grace because that's what we experienced at Kemp. We came here and you guys showed us grace. You showed us grace and, and then kicked us out and sent us back to Kansas. You know, you, <laughs> if it weren't for the grace that we received here, we would have never been able to share that grace. We've never been able to share, share what, what God blessed us with. I never saw that God was preparing me for Kansas when we came here. Uh, that was beyond my, beyond my imagination. Um, but it was not beyond God's provision. It was not beyond his knowledge of what he was doing for my life. Father, Lord, after, praying, after preaching that sermon, it suddenly makes me realize I need to take this prayer time a little more seriously. Lord, I, I thank you for where you've led us as individuals, as individual churches, uh, as members of your kingdom, and as ultimately as, as your body. I thank you for the places you've led us and the way you've shown your grace to us and the way that you've blessed our spirits. Lord, we look ahead to what's next, and we want to pray prayers that, that give you room to work, that give you room to amaze us and challenge us and push us. And Lord, it's not just about the prayers we pray, it's about the lives we live. We want to make sure that our lives are ready to move when you tell us to move, are ready to act when you tell us to act. And Lord, if you bring new challenges and new responsibilities next week, we want to honor you and be ready for those. And so Lord, bring our hearts closer to that. Help us to be those kind of people. Help us to pray those kind of prayers that not only challenge us, but honor you as, a, as an amazing creator, as a wonderful Lord and Savior, and as our Father. We love you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.